everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. A lot has happened since we last recorded, and we're going to try and get to it all in a concise, informative, timely fashion. No, we're not. No, we're not. I, I feel I, I feel like the, the game plan we have for today could potentially be successful. Yeah, much like... like there, there's a high chance of success. I mean, like, like Jill Ellis' roster against Columbia, it might confuse a couple people, but in the end it'll work out. Are you are you being silent to protest that comparison, that metaphor? No, no, I didn't have anywhere else to go with that. <laughs> Name your sex tape. Oh, god damn it! <laughs> so, now that we've started off on the right foot, Gab, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a little bit of coffee. Um, it's been a whirlwind, like, two weeks for me. And today is Monday, and I, I took the day off, so I'm trying to be productive and and drink some coffee. I do, I have put a little bit of Bailey's in it throughout today. So, so staying true a little bit to our, to our namesake. Um, what are you enjoying? I'm enjoying water. I need to stay awake, but I can't have caffeine, but I don't also want to have like a really sugary drink either. So what does that leave me with? (laughs) You're like, Hmm. yeah, Yeah. Kool-Aid. I mean, it's not as sugary as soda. What I really need is sleep. Just eight hours of natural, uninterrupted sleep. We should go on a retreat. Yeah, we should. Uh, Just a retreat. And then, you know, maybe we'll record while we're there. Maybe we won't. But whatever we come out of there with, you can bet it'll be restful. All right. Let's do it. Do it. All right. I'll see you in Portland tomorrow. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'll see you in Boston at the end of the month. Speaking of us traveling... Why would we be traveling? Because NWSL starts in days. Right. A matter of days. I'm not going any. Well, actually, that's a lot. I'm going to San Diego. But then when I come back, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. NWSL starts April 16th, this weekend. It starts with Spirit versus Breakers uh, down in D.C. Mm-hmm. And then there's some other games, but that's the one that I care about. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's are are you traveling down for that one? I don't know yet. Um, I might have someone who could pick me up on the way. I haven't decided. On the other hand, it is easier for me to cover away games when I stay home and watch them. You're like, yeah, I don't really have to go to the post game presser because most of the time the notes are made public. Yeah, but I'm really excited for the start of season four. All the finalized rosters dropped today, so everybody has at least, I think, 18 players on their roster, and some have already filled up to 20. That whole roster dropping on a Monday thing, like, so a lot of trialists, a lot of new draftees got their, got their contracts, so they're, they're signed members of the team now, but it's, it's just one of those things that's like, why are some teams not at 20? Um, and again, why is 20 that, that magic number? It's, it's all, it's all very mystical and magical, um, how, how you actually become a member of, of that particular roster, I think. And without a lot of pomp and circumstance, like team, this is how we discover that, that teams have signed that, that new recruit or something like that, where I, I don't know, man, I, I would like a little bit more celebration. I think it wasn't as much pomp because it's the entire preseason has been building up to this and teams have been making moves and for a lot of teams it was like yeah we're just confirming what you already know 
Right. They, because yeah. everybody already announces their, a lot of them announce their roster signings before this, like on a player by player basis. And then you just look at the roster and you go, oh, well, you're at 20. You're done. Yeah. I want surprises still. I know in the case of the Pride, Sermani said something about uh, maybe some paperwork or some uh, international transfer stuff holding up, completing their roster, making it Mm -hmm. 20. So I think for most teams that are at 18 or 19 right now, that's probably the case. There's some paperwork in the way or they're waiting on something to pan out before they finalize it. Yeah. Uh, So tell me a little bit about Boston. Boston had a couple of new draftees show up um, or signees show up on the, on the roster. Um, as you said, you were probably well aware that that, that was going to happen, but uh, uh, who are they? Okay. Boston's one of those teams that got to 20. And since I'm the beat reporter for the bent musket for the breakers, I've been, you know, tracking all this stuff pretty carefully. No surprises. Boston signed all three of its draft picks eventually. So that's, uh, Kristen Westfall, who's the first one to get signed. I mean, I think that was obvious. They took her number three overall in the draft in the first round, and I think it's been, become clear Matt Beard wants to use her as a starting player on the defense. And they also signed Ratcliffe and Abby Smith as a GK. Now, Abby Smith is probably the most interesting one of those three to me in the larger sense because she could go into the national team pool soon. She does well in NWSL. She could be one of those players who you see working her way into the national team after the Olympics in this next cycle before the 2019 World Cup. I, th- I think that's a solid investment by the breakers. Um, you know, Abby Smith was was kind of the reason why when we were talking about the draft and, and who teams could play, she was, I think, pretty high on, on both of our lists for um, the draft order. And we were like, uh, should we really put a GK that high? Um, I think it's it's going to be a huge year for her to really test the waters and Boston is in a position now where where they kind of need to to have some of their players step up as leaders for the team as uh, kind of get a feel for who are legacy players for the team um and and I think I think this is a solid solid position for any of them to take. I think leadership for Boston is going to come from a couple different places which is good. You know, they they don't just have to rely on one person. Whitney Engen has come in and seems to be clicking pretty well. And she also has that previous connection with Matt Beard from Liverpool Ladies. So mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be her. It's going to be um, Cassie Coleman on that back line. I think some's going to come from McCall Zerboni, even though she's new to the team. Uh, but she's already shown that she's integral to the Breakers midfield throughout preseason. Yeah, I th- I think, th- and then, you know, you've got some of the vets like Katie Shepard, Julie King, maybe Christy Mewis will step up. I would like to see Christy Mewis kind of develop more into a leadership role and to step up her game. I think it's, she's been making steady progress over the past season or so, but to step it up, possibly work her way back into the national team. I don't know. Might be too late. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's all about cycles, right? Yeah. So, um, she's she's kind of missing out on this on this last chance hurrah cycle. I I would wasn't going to be surprised if she did get a call up, uh, for the most recent Columbia games. Um, and unfortunately she didn't. So I I, I think it's safe to say she's out at this point. But who knows? We have like six or seven weeks of matches before. Well, the Olympic rosters got to be announced within the next like two months, right? 
Uh, I think you need to submit that about 35 days before you head down there. So actually, I think they have until the beginning of June about to announce. Cool. So they do they do have about six weeks, eight weeks, eight weeks. Yeah, just about. Yeah. Yeah. To get to get that thing put together. So, I mean, that's a lot of footy to be played. And Lord knows, I mean, we just have to hope that. Sorry, I didn't mean to blow on that. Um, so <laughs> Lord knows that we uh, we all just have to hope and pray that Jill Ellis is actually watching the NWSL this season. And um, this this next six week, eight week period is going to be huge for all those bubble players. Well, moving on to next on the list, Chicago Red Stars. They are going to be, I think, missing three key players for them during the Olympics because they've got three no longer allocated. They're uh, federation-controlled whatever players, subsidized, I don't know. Uh, Julie Johnston, Alyssa Nair, and Kristen Press are all going to be gone. And those three are, you know, in any club, pretty crucial. And between Julie Johnston and Alyssa Nair, you've lost some of your spine at the back. But... I see a lot of returning names for the Red Stars as well. So there's an argument for, you know, continuity. I think with Chicago, we're we're looking at a team that's really establishing who they are and not a lot of turnover there. Um, and so this is going to be a, another season for them to really make a push toward playoffs, a push towards, you know, winning every match. Um, things I'm looking forward to this year with Chicago, uh, they're playing at Toyota Stadium or Toyota Park instead of a college pitch outside of Chicago. And so we're going to see the opportunity for more of the MLS crowd to become aware of the team, to start going to some games. Um, strategically, I think that's that's going to be huge for this year. So you'll probably look at, be, be, be looking at a lot of marketing material um, from some of those key legacy players for, for Chicago. But yeah, in in terms of fresh faces or or team overhaul, there are definitely teams that uh, are going to be coming out looking a lot different uh, than what Chicago had last year. Yeah, I'm really excited about the Toyota Park move, not just for the players, but also for myself as a fan, like a member of the audience, because the it's going to look better. And the AV setup there has got to be miles better than their old field. You, you would hope so. You, you would yeah. hope that this is going to be something where um, they really are able to take advantage of the infrastructure. But I also remember there being a double header or something like that last year where the they, Red Star's front office, maybe it was la- the year before last year, I can't remember exactly, but where the Red Star's front office was basically just like, look, this isn't our infrastructure. We don't really know it. And so if there's tech issues, it's because of that. Well, that excuse goes out the window. So I really hope they've been they've been rehearsing. Yeah, I hope every team steps up the AV this year. I know every club has different resources to work with. But NWSL keeps saying, yeah, we're going to establish league minimum standards for broadcasts uh, on YouTube. And I feel like every season they don't really. So you get huge disparity in quality. You get, you know pretty nice streams from seattle portland and of course the mls teams like i'm expecting good streams from the pride and then the dash do well but then you get stuff like western new york flashes i think they give us the feed from the friggin' jumbotron 
Right. It's not great. And, you know, I'm not going to leave Boston out of that. Sometimes they have a couple issues. But so, yeah, it, hopefully any any team that has access to nicer infrastructure will be able to really make the most of it. I don't know, man. Year four. Like, we don't know what to expect. Which is, I guess, a good thing, because what we usually expect is death, a sh- the end, a shit show. collapsing to a black hole of despair. Yeah. FC Casey. Speaking of right? collapsing to a black hole of despair. Oh, sorry, God. Guys. Oh, God. What a transition. Yeah. Um, Jesus. They also have three key players who could be gone during the Olympics. Mm, maybe two. But they've got uh, Heather O'Reilly, Becky Sauerbrunn, and then from Canada, Desi Scott, who are... Are they, are they coming to get you? Is that your ride? No. Background? Sorry. No, it's okay. I lived a- I live downtown, so these are some of the things you gotta get used to. No, I just if you if you need to run for like the border, I'd understand if you want to end the podcast here. For the border, for the Canadian border. The Canadian border. No, I'm good. I'm good. Would you actually run south instead? I know you're in Portland, so it's shorter to get to Canada, but maybe you'd you'd prefer Mexico. No, I would prefer Canada. I think I could get get to Mexico fairly easily. Mm-hmm. from canada there are a lot of flights anyway yeah a bit of a roster overhaul for fc casey um, jesus some Talk stuff about out of their control well it's just funny because like fc casey back-to-back champions of this league you would think they would be this this powerhouse team and it seems like every year they are kind of rebuilding um and i i'm sure part of that's by design vleco probably thinks okay i gotta keep up with the other teams i have to make some of these changes but like if you look at their roster and all the the players who have retired um players who are out for the season uh some of the trades that they made early on that now maybe hindsight being uh being what it is um they they might have kept on to those players i'm actually really surprised they haven't gone out and tried to get some of those players and maybe they have um but tried to retrieve some of those players that they let go early on before before they found out about retirements or pregnancies and things like that yeah well let's just address the big ones right now they lost lauren cheney to retirement that's something they they were planning for they knew uh, but yeah. then Amy Rodriguez got pregnant, and then Sid LaRue got pregnant, which she published a recent blog post about it, I think on ESPNW, where she was like, guys, I feel really bad about this. I didn't mean to get pregnant. I was looking forward to playing FC Casey. I'm finally here with my husband. Everything's great. And then, you know, whatever birth control she's on, if she's on any, fails. Like, wow, talk about stroke of bad luck. I mean, right? obviously, congratulations on your baby. Like, a child is a blessing, but... Damn, talk about timing. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for oops babies, right? Yeah. <laughs> oops babies. <laughs> oops baby. Uh, I think FC Casey, I mean, I think they're going to be okay. They're not going to drop to the bottom of the table. Vlatko's too good of a coach for that. And they do have a decent amount of talent coming back this season. And they're going to get anchored back there by Nicole Barnhart. And they've got some new stuff coming in, like Katie Bowen from New Zealand, who I'm really eager to see play in this league. And then, you know, they've got the ever-reliable Jen Buskowski in there. And then we'll see if Erica Timrak kind of 
ups her game this season as opposed to last season. So it's not yeah. Really... I th- I think Tim Rack, you know, goes goes on the same page as as Mewis, as we talked about with Boston. Like mm-hmm. there's still you still got a shot, but you got to really you got to stand out. You got to shine. No, oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. And it's all those bubble players. Those are the players to watch. You know, they're the they're the Ali Longs and the the uh, Stephanie McCaffrey's. And yeah, the, yeah, Stephanie McCaffrey. Like I think every every team is going to have those one or two senior team potential players that I, I mean, it's, it sounds a little fucked up because you want, you want each team to go out there and play for the team, mm-hmm. but you also want to lift your players up and help have them have the best, like not only highlight reel, but just the best experience. And unfortunately, soccer is one of those games where like winners get the highlight reels, right? Yeah. So how do we how do we make this something that like Jill Ellis cannot ignore? And after FCKC, we've got the Houston Dash, who are you know after a rough start in the league, they're they're now solid mid table contenders. They did lose Aaron McLeod and Ella Masser, but they've picked up Lydia Williams from Australia mm-hmm. as our goalkeeper. Although she doesn't seem to count against their international limit based on what I saw in their their roster report. So she might have like a green card situation going on. But um the Dash also are facing some of the same problems maybe more so than other teams with Olympic players being gone because they've got Morgan Bryan, Carly Lloyd who could possibly be out. But then they've got Canadians and Australians in there. So Janine Becky who's almost certainly going with Canada. Um Ellie Brush Maybe. And, yeah, once again, Lydia Williams. Oh, and they've got two Brazilians on there, Andressa and Poliana. Yeah, it's it's this weird position for Randy Waldrum to put himself in to have such a deep uh, international pool that he can, he can draw from. And now you're going to be in a position, yeah, the NWSL is taking off the entire Olympic tournament, but there are all those camps leading up to. Um, and so I think that there are certain teams that hopefully, you know, haven't dug themselves a hole given how many international players they have on their roster. I think Houston's one of them. I know Portland definitely is one of those teams. I think Orlando has quite a few international players on, on their roster as well. Oh, so we'll see. We'll we'll see, you know, is, is the sweet spot to have two or three, players leave uh two or three players of that talent pool um who take off for their camps or is or is the better option to really stack your team and be okay with the deficit be okay with those amateur players i didn't even mention alicia chapman from canada who's also going to be leaving because she and becky are are pretty firmly embedded in that canadian squad now so that's potentially one two three four Five, six player, six, seven, eight players gone from the Houston Dash roster. Mm-hmm. Almost half, which means they would have to go to their reserves and call up some amateurs. Which and, every team is going to be doing. Every team, yeah. And we're going to get that outrage every time it happens. Which I, you know what? I guess I think it's fair to keep that in the conversation while also acknowledging that it's going to take time to fix that situation as well. Totally. I think, I think it just, 
it, it, it really plays into what are we here for? You know, and that's that big question that the women's national team is trying to answer right now. Like, are we here to be winners and to be uh, world champions and all that jazz? Or are we here to be building something bigger than ourselves? I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. And one will feed into the other. Well, I think if we had a perfect system, one will feed into the other. I think if we have a, if, if we establish what that perfect system is, it becomes circular. Yeah, yeah, right. Ide- ideally, but yeah. right now it's it's just one of those situations that when we look at the modest salary increase or salary cap increase between last year and this year, you know, you just kind of look at a lot of the pluses that we experienced last year in a World Cup year. It's like, okay, when are we going to start seeing the payback there? Like, is the payback Orlando joining? Is the payback that, like, each team is making small improvements to the organization? And when can we start seeing the payback in terms of, like, larger rosters, actual reserve teams that have fair compensation, things of that nature? Well, I think there's – you can go either way. We're about to head into that weird gap between the Olympics and the World Cup. That means that obviously we're not going to have big tournament tournaments to piggyback on for publicity with the national team players. But on the other hand, it gives the clubs a couple of years to just be stable. You know, players aren't coming and going. They can start putting down a lot more roots in the community and be like, yes, every single game, you will see Alex Morgan's face here. She's not going to be in and out. And people can complain about fans coming in just to see big names like Alex Morgan or Hope Solo, but that's the reality that we have to work with. So, you know what? I don't blame any team for banking on it. Oh, absolutely not. And that's the reality. Like, that's why pro athletes are idolized the way they are. Yeah. It's because they have a revenue, like, that their name recognition is invaluable. You know, there there's hardly a team in the United States that you can you can just say, like, I, I would say the Red Sox are probably one of them um, where people are just like, yeah, I just want to go to a Red Sox game because I've never been to that stadium and because of the history and the legacy and all that different stuff. Whereas most other sports teams are like, oh, my God, I really want to go and see this I want to see a game while so and so is on the roster or while so and so is playing or because this other team is coming to town. Yeah. Soccer's young. And and women's yeah, soccer's soccer. even younger. So we gotta we gotta use whatever tools we got. Yeah, and I think it just comes up down to fans realizing like tourists aren't a bad thing. Um you just wanna make sure that you're welcoming tourists and like you know, hopefully you're you're creating some sort of a good experience for them that they can say, Man, I wanna do this again. And again, and maybe look into season tickets and maybe look in how can I become more involved in that sports group or that organization or something like that. Yeah, tourists are how you capture new parts of the market. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to stay. Some of them are just here for whatever big name. But some of them are going to come and if they see a good enough product and, you know, they, they come over and over again, they start to build habits around this team. They start to become habitual consumers of your product, and then you've got them. You just got to snatch them. 
right? That's what we all want. We all want to create those habitual habitual consumers of this Woso product. That's why gatekeeping um, and fandom drives me insane. Because when someone comes to you and says, I'm new to this, that's an opportunity for you to grab a new viewer instead of showing off, you know, how much better you are, whatever they're new to. So Right? So You're just like, oh, well, when I was new back in 2008, the team sucked and blah, 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 blah. It's yeah, like, so no, what, like, tell a story, but don't don't make them feel more like a noob than they already do. Yeah, when te- when new people come to the teams, I think we need to start... I mean, a lot of articles, and I've written some too, are like, we need to be catering to like hardcore soccer fans. But I think there's also room to have a conversation about how we create new hardcore women's soccer fans. Everything is so new in terms of women's soccer fandom. It's a chance for us to not just copy you know, whatever's gone before, but for us to create our own culture and our own rules and grow in our own that's, way. That's really hard. It is hard, but I think there's room for some of that. We can take the infrastructure that already exists and the lessons that we've learned before us, but also, you know, not feel like we have to carbon copy everything that came before either. Right. It's it's one of those situations where we have the flexibility of seeing what the floor plan or the blueprint could be. And guess what? We can pick and choose. What do we want to keep? What do we want to try to discourage? What do we want to enhance or, or even add to that blueprint? And, you know, I think I think that's that's difficult for some for some teams and some organizations where um, we have one standard nationally, and that's MLS. And, you know, there are those pockets of fans who are, are really into European leagues or Asian leagues or other leagues in North America or South America. But it's, it's one of those, it's one of those situations where we really are in an advantageous position where we have this fresh market that doesn't have that rich history of where you're really working against the grain to try to instill change. It's like, no, let's, let's, be welcoming let's figure out how do we want to grow this what do we want to look like when we're a sports group of five versus 15 versus 30 versus 150 and we're able to define that ourselves and we don't have to you know listen to how it's been done um of course we want to learn from those experiences but it could be whatever we want to be and that's what makes it so fucking magical man are you ready for this transition it's gonna be a good one do it. Speaking of clubs with 150 supporters, Portland Thorns. Let's talk about that roster. Wow. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Um, Thank you. Did you? Were you surprised by anything that went on with this roster? Um, I'm a little surprised. I went to the preseason tournament uh, last week, and there were. It was a. It was kind of ugly. Um, it was not. It was not attractive soccer at all, and you just kind of had to be be in the mindset of zen and also like it's preseason they're trying new things out like they've only played together for a few weeks give it give it a shot well houston and seattle only played together for two weeks and they beat your ass so i know dude (laughs) i know i know all right, keep going. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm doing I'm doing my best to to like be positive about it so far because it would be really easy to be negative, Nelly, about the whole thing. So I was expecting uh, Portland to to fill up 
their roster to either 19 or 20 players. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where I feel like we just purposefully don't do that so that we can always tease about the next big signing. When in reality, the like horrible, the labor-minded person inside me is like, why would we do that? Like, if we get free labor from amateurs to fill in roster gaps. If why would we pay somebody for a partial season just to have fill up to twenty when we know that this huge signing's gonna come in in May or June? We just don't have the paperwork done yet. And I hate that I think that way. Like I want to I wanna know that the Thorns are not an organization that's like looking at the bottom line and going, okay, let's pay you for the amount of work that you're actually putting into this club and the, the what we expect your contribution level to be. But <clears throat> I was expecting, I was expecting more from the thorns today. Well, let's look at the roster. You have some big names on there. Uh, and then they're all probably going to be gone. So Tobin yeah. Heath. Thank, thank you for that. Lindsay Horan, Megan Klingenberg, Christine Sinclair, and then possibly Amandine Henri. So, but you did get some big signings like Dagny Brinier's daughter in there. Mm-hmm. And Nadia who's, Nadim. Who's not going to the Olympics. Yeah. So, Neither one of those are going to the Olympics. So in theory, we we should have them mm-hmm. most of Maybe most Emily of the year. Sonnet. Emily Sonnet, maybe. The, she and Engen are kind of battling for that third CB spot. But I think Engen has much more of a lock on it than Sonnet does. So... You know, and you picked up eighty French in goal. Hey, that's mm-hmm. that's not nothing. God, she was bad last week, though. Ugh. I mean, it's preseason, like you said. It is preseason, and she's coming back off of her, off of an injury and all this different stuff. I was just like, man, oh, like it. Uh, the thorns last week just made me realize I really know nothing about soccer. <laughs> Like, I, I really just have no sense of how to predict the sh- anything that's going to happen. Well, you know what else is going on? You got a new coach, Mark Parsons. You're... We did get a new coach, Mark Parsons. You're not going to have any more Paul Riley's insanity. Yeah, now we're going to have Mark Parsons insanity. And Mark Parsons actually engages on Twitter. So I'm really looking forward to the train wreck that that's going to become. I think it'll be fine. I trust Mark Parsons a little more than I do Paul Riley. I think we just like Mark Parsons more than we do Riley. As a human being, yes, that too. I mean, to be fair to Paul Riley, I don't know him that well. I've never really met him in person. True. But I, I guess for me, I'm I'm worried I might be mistaking trust with like. Uh-huh. Well, and look maybe at they, with- they probably are synonymous. You know, the more the more you like someone, the more you are trusting of them. The, his record with the spirit, I think, is a, a decent enough counterpoint to that, though. I I agree with everything he was able to do there, but you know, Paul Riley had a really good, really good season with the the Philly Independence. So I'm a little I'm a little uh, damaged in this area. Mm. Well, you know, people teach you how to treat them. So if you're a little suspicious of the thorns. I think the Thorns really only have themselves to blame for that. They do. They they really do. <laughs> okay, next team. Seattle Rain. I know you love talking about Seattle. Ugh, this is going to be the fastest one. They're so good. <laughs> I hate it. 
they're going to have their two key stars staying, just Fishlock and Kim Little, because Wales and Scotland are not going to the Olympics. How um, is that possible? You're going to have to take that up with the Queen. And like, I know. I think I know. something, something just... history of English expansion. I don't know. I know, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, how does Great Britain not have a team at the fucking Olympics? And then Men on Melly? Is it Melly or Mellis? I always switch back and forth between the two. Anyway, she's from the Netherlands, and she's awesome. Um, They'll probably lose Hope Solo, and who knows if Megan Rapinoe will make it back in time. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. She might. I think people have gone from, oh, she's never going to do it, to like, oh, is she going to do it? It's one of those things where I need U.S. soccer to give me an update. Yeah. I need the Allie Krieger version of the update for Megan Rapinoe. I think Seattle's going to come out of the gate strong as ever. They've got a lot of old roster coming over to this season. And I think they're one of the teams with the strongest senses of continuity between seasons in this league in season four. So I think they'll be fine. The fact that you say strong as ever, like, it doesn't worry me. It just makes me mad. <laughs> because they've already won... The, they've they've won the league for two years in a row. They just have won the championship. They just haven't won playoffs. Like they were undefeated last year. Yeah, weren't they? I think during the regular season they were. Even yeah, if they during the regular they only season lost, like, they were game. undefeated. And it's just one of those things. It's like if they're going to be even stronger out of the gates this year, like what's what's the point? What's the point of competing in a sport? What's the point of sport? That's a question you and I ask ourselves a lot, actually. We do. We do. Well, I think it's worth visiting simply because when a team is stacked like that and the the coach just has the recipe and the players buy into the recipe and you're joining a culture, you're not just joining because of the amenities and all of the different reasons players join different teams. But when you're joining that type of a culture and that type of environment, it's just like, God damn it. I just want there to be a rogue player who just like, I want Lisa fucking Devanna to go to Seattle. All right. That's, that's enough Seattle. Thank you for, talking about seattle as long as you did gab no problem yeah and then we have sky blue fc who are starting off the season on kind of a on not even on a wrong foot on on no foot caitlin ford is not joining them yeah that's weird and she's a big player but they'll they'll still have sam kerr for part of the season but caitlin ford is is not i think the big one to watch for sky blue is uh raquel rodriguez that's the big one that they got penn state they also picked up Tasha Kai, but Tasha Kai's like 32, 33 now. I don't know how much of an impact she'll... We'll see. We'll see if she's still ready to kick ass in a league that's this high octane all the time. I mean, she might be She might be the personality that they need. I would imagine she's going to be an impact player. I just don't know if if that impact's going to be at the beginning of a match or at the end of the match. Mm-hmm. We'll see how they, if, they use her. Yeah. I yeah, I have no clue. I have no clue. Tasha Kai is a mystery. She is. It's just it's the weirdest comeback story, right? Yeah, a little bit. The they also Like have... what if what if Tasha Kai is still considered a women's national team like bubble player? <laughs> What if, like, Tasha what if Tasha Kai comes out and just kills it 
at the first like five weeks of NWSL to the point where Jill just can't ignore. What if her? Tasha Kai scores a hat trick in every game from now until Jill Ellis has to submit her Olympic roster, and the performance is so good that she can't be lo- like Tasha Kai, who hasn't played for the national team since what 2010, 2009. Yeah. Um, that it's not gonna happen. But what if it did? Like, what if Tasha Kai, like, let alone scores a hat trick, what if Tasha Kai has all of the assists for Sky Blue? Uh huh. Uh huh. Like, let alone scores goals. Like, what if, what if every goal scored by Sky Blue is assisted by Kai? Three goals, three assists every game. <laughs> Natasha Kai. Bada boom, motherfucker. And she then gets endorsed by Starbucks. Yeah. Or Dunkin' Donuts. I would imagine she would probably switch to Dunkin' Donuts in that area. Oh, Tasha Kai's... She's loyal. She'll stick with <gasps> S-Bucks. She'll be fine. She is loyal, isn't she? Well, they also have Kelly O'Hare on the roster, so she'll be gone. And the other Federation-supplemented, subsidized player is Christy Rampone, who has not yet retired. And will, by all accounts, still be anchoring that back line. Do you think Rampone's... Sticking around for the paycheck. I wouldn't blame her if she were. I'm not blaming. I'm inquiring. Oh. Yeah, I don't think you're blaming her either. I just, I'm saying, you know. You're agreeing. If it works out that she needs to stay through a certain accounting cycle to get certain benefits, I don't blame her. Also, if it works out that she needs to stay to get benefits, Mm -hmm. I would not blame her. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to have health care. Yeah, I think that that is going to be something that we are talking about extensively in our next segment. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But I do think Sky Blue is going to have a rough season um, unless their coach pulls a Vlatko and is like, where'd this guy come from? I, I, I for once think that Boston's not going to be bottom of the table. Well, baby. Don't. I mean, come on. We're we're good for at least eighth place. I want to say eight, eight out of ten. We're going to go for it. Eight out of ten. Oh, why do you set yourself up for this? <laughs> okay, moving on to the Washington Spirit. No, but really, like eight out of ten. Yeah, we're going to at least be eight out of ten. Who are going to be the two below you? Sky Blue and uh, maybe Western New York. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'll let Was- you. Do- I'll let you dream. I'm not going to squish anything. Washington Spirit, national team players who could be gone: Crystal Dunn, Allie Krieger, Steph LeBay. For can- Steph LeBay is guaranteed to be gone, especially after Erin McLeod broke herself again in Sweden. Uh, Diana Matheson will be gone, and so will probably Shalina Zadorsky. What is up with Allie Krieger? I don't know what the deal is. We'll talk about it more in our review of the Columbia Games, but like. My current positive theory is Jill knows everything she needs to know about Allie Krieger. Allie Krieger is a 100% known entity to Jill Ellis. There's nothing else to learn about her except, you know, if she increases her fitness or something. Whereas right now, Jill needs to experiment with the back line. So when you, as part of her experimentation, she's taking off the known quantity. Sure, but then why is Brune playing? Because you don't want to experiment too much? <laughs> Look, if you're gonna okay. if you're gonna pull someone off the back line, don't experiment with Tobin Heath there, and also not have Becky Sauron there just in case. 
I just, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know either. But I don't, like, I don't, I. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> I see Estefania Benini is back, which is fun because I just like saying her name. Estefania Benini. I- Benini. She had a, I think she had a decent start with Spirit last season and then she was injured and she was out. And then they've got uh, some people coming back who I think will help them with that whole um, continuity thing. They've got Oyster, uh, Loman, Whitney Church, Tori Huster, and then they'll be they'll be working on using Caprice Didasco, who is still in the running for top three best names in NWSL. Who are the other top two? Estefania Benini. <laughs> so the, the Washington Spirit are the team that has the players with the best names. Yeah, I mean, they've also got Shalina Zadorsky. That's a great name. I'm just, I get frustrated with names that I have to type out repeatedly. And then let's not forget Kelly Farquharson. I'm sorry, what? Kelly Farquharson. Bless you. I know. I'm sure she's gotten that her whole life. The good thing is, is we make fun of people's names once on this pod, and then we never, ever do it again. Yeah. You know who else I'm looking forward to seeing for Washington is Katie Stengel, who's returning to the United States from Germany. I want to see how she gets on as a forward for Washington. Yeah, you do. What? Yeah, you do. Also, she's probably too young for me. She's like (laughs) 23, 24. That's too young? Uh, I ain't dating anyone who can't run a car, buddy. Well, I mean, standards, I guess. Mm. I'm just saying, 23, 24 isn't that young. No, it's not that you. young. It, it For a lot of people, it's not as much about age, but like what stage of life you're in. What year did you graduate high school? We're not going to talk about this. Okay, how gonna old t- are you? We're going to talk about the Western New York Flash. <sighs> you're such a buzzkill. I know. The Western New York Flash. Wait, so the spirit... God. Okay. What do we What do we think they're gonna actually do? I think they're gonna be solidly mid table. I think I think they're still gonna have the advantage of a fortress in Maryland, but I agree. I agree. I think they're gonna struggle a little bit when they go on the road. Last team. Road. Western New York Flash. Did we talk about the Pride at all? The Orlando Negative. Pride. Negative. We all did right. not talk. You You skipped them in the O. Oh, I usually never miss the O. Oh. Okay. You you just walked right over the O on that one. Let's talk about the newest team in NWSL, Tom Sermani's Orlando Pride. I like that he has ownership over it. Yeah. They've got a lot of internationals, too. Um, yeah. But some of them probably won't be close. So uh, they've got, in terms of internationals, Laura Alloway, Australia, Monica Hitwin alves from Brazil. Uh, Jose Belanger and Kaylin Kyle from Canada. I don't think Kyle's going to the Olympics. I-, I think she's on the outs with the national team in Canada. Do you think that's personal, political, or just her physical abilities? Physical ability. Yeah. And then Steph Catley from Australia. She'll be going. And then Alex Morgan will be gone. Ashlyn Harris. That's interesting. Because after the Columbia Games, Joel Ellis basically up, up and said... Alyssa Nair is now number two in the the goalkeeper pecking order. And did she did she actually say it, or did she say it by not playing Harris? No, she actually said afterwards. She gave statements like, "Yeah, Alyssa's moved up over uh, Ashlyn Harris," but she also explained, you know, Ashlyn Harris was coming into camp with a couple issues. She might have been sick, so 
you know, like we said, there's about eight weeks of play before that roster needs to go anywhere. So who knows? I could see those two I, still fighting for number two. I feel like Harris is always sick or always injured or always coming back from something. That might play into it. Uh, if Nayer's steadier on her health for longer periods of time. <sighs> we'll see, dude. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, so there's no info on the Pride outside of preseason. We just have their roster and, and Tom Sermani. But I will say, not that I'm looking forward to it, but I'll be happy to see Maddie Evans playing for them. We'll see how that works out. But yeah, they, they, they do stand to lose quite a lot of internationals, which you would think everybody knows. The Olympics are not a surprise. They're kind of like inked into the schedule for several years. So mm-hmm. so who knows what they're planning. Once more, going dipping into the reserves, I think they're going to look to some other players who are there to help out, like Becky Edwards. She's she's mm-hmm. not insignificant to that team. Not at all. Um, if Ashlyn goes, they've still got Aubrey Bledsoe in goal. I think they're going to be looking a bit to Leanne Sanderson to be creative string puller. We'll see if she steps. And then Jamia Fields. That's another one I want to see play. Jamia Fields was drafted by the Breakers last season and then not signed. But, you know, I think she's got a considerable amount of scoring talent. And I'd like to see her click with a midfielder who can help elevate her game. Yeah, it would it would be interesting to uh, see a bit more chemistry with the Flash this year. I, I feel like they're, they're a team last year that just never gave us any depth, never uh, really found their footing. Um, but they, they do look really good on paper. They do look really solid. Yeah, and you know Tom Sermani is the kind of guy who he knows how to get the best or most out of his players and, and not fiddle around too much. And then last but not least, although maybe, uh, the Western New York Flash. Ouch. They've also got their share of internationals, so uh, Lady Andrade. Although, in the game this weekend, I believe Monica Gonzalez said flat out the Federation was punishing Lady Andrade for speaking up about not treating the women's team well. Uh, not just her. She, I believe she said she was punishing, a, or they were punishing a couple of players. Yeah, and then Lady Andrade was among them. It's the name that stuck out for me. We'll see if uh, noted face puncher Lady Andrade is on the Columbia roster for the Olympics. Noted face puncher. <laughs> She's always going to be that drive-by face puncher, isn't she? Yeah. And then Sabrina D'Angelo for Canada, I think, is almost guaranteed to be number two goalkeeper behind Steph LeBay. Abby Urseg for New Zealand might be gone. And we have, I don't think Adriana Leon Leon will be gone for Canada. I think she's also on the outs like Kaylin Kyle. But that leaves uh, Sam Mewis and Jaylene Hinkle for the United States who might be going. Two bubble players. Two Again, bubble, yeah. the bubble players. And then Alana Kennedy for Australia. I think the international I'm most excited to see from the Western New York Flash is uh, their new South Korean international, who's the first South Korean in NWSL, Jeon Gaul. I'm also excited to see uh, Mackenzie Doniak. She's big time in college. I want to see her make the leap to the pros. I think it'll be interesting to really watch a lot of these college players transition from NCAA to the NWSL because I'm really hoping that the NWSL is advancing beyond the startup phase and we're starting to get shades of NWSL 2.0. 
Um, but it's one of those things where like all of these college players are really going to have to stick around for a while. And I think it'll be telling that after this Olympic cycle is over, um, how many take off to other countries. Like, I think that's going to be the huge tell and the huge win for NWSL is, you know, at the end of this, this year, once those teams are established, you know, who's, who's going to go elsewhere for a paycheck. Season four is exciting. Um, but I think the real test will be what we do seasons five and six in between now and the next World Cup. Well, that was all 10 teams, all 10 rosters so far. Some of them, you know, a couple moves left to make, but ugh. I mean, nothing is, I, I think this is a weird feeling for us in the sense that there's no apprehension. There are no surprises anymore. Like there are no weird things happening behind the scenes like I think a lot of that speaks to there's a certain amount of transparency in this league now and I think it also speaks a bit to how we've done this four times already or three times like we we know what's what's coming we know what to really expect from some of these players okay so just to close out our NWSL preview then right now with just preseason info on the table and these rosters, who are you picking as top four in the league? Mm. <laughs> um, You're going to have to say Seattle. Geez. Sorry, buddy. I know. I know. Uh, I'm going to go with the top four, the teams making the playoffs. Uh, I'm going to... Shit. Uh, I'm going to go with Orlando. I think that they'll be in pretty good spot. I think Tom will take care of them. I think Seattle will be on top and then maybe Orlando. Then I think Portland has potential to, to be up there. And the fourth team, I'm actually going to go with Chicago. Oh, I'm going to say that FC Casey has seen enough disruption to what they, they consider normal. And I think that Becky Sabrin is going to be a little uh, distracted. Because I have a feeling she might be the brains behind this bad boy we're going to talk about next. So my top four, I'll pick Seattle, Portland, Orlando, and then that last spot. Just go with the breakers. Just go with it. I can't. I cannot tell a lie. (laughs) You're going with the breakers? No, I'm going to go to Chicago. Oh, we're, we're tied. We're matchy. Yeah, matching. Samesies. Matchy, matchy. Uh, that was gross. Let's talk about <laughs> the EEOC case. Oh, man. Well, okay. So the weird thing to me is that friendlies are still happening, even though the players in the Federation, like, are not talking. Mm-hmm. That to me just kind of, like, it points to how fucked up this whole thing is and how much of a well-oiled machine U.S. soccer actually is. Like, the players and who they interact with on a daily basis are not federation people. Like they, they get paid by the federation, all that stuff, but they're not like federation people. You know what I mean? Otherwise there would be these huge, like, I I think, I think it, it would be tangible. Like you would see discomfort with the players. So I guess we should talk about like what actually happened. Right. Okay. Quick recap. The women's national team, got the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission involved and brought a claim of wage discrimination against U.S. soccer. 
And now the EEOC is just going to investigate, which is, it could take a couple months. It could take 10 months. It's probably going to last until after the Olympics. And in the meantime, the team's like, are we going to boycott? I don't know. We could, but they're probably not going to. So I think that's where we are. Um, They talked about it a lot around the two friendlies against Colombia that we just played last week. Uh, A lot of interviews have come out. I think Carly and Becky Sauerbrunn gave really interesting interviews where they dropped some hints as to what's been going on. And I think there's been a lot of implication that U.S. soccer has been terrible at communicating and negotiating with the team, not just recently, but over the past several years. It's, It's all icky. And I hate I hate using that word so often with this type of stuff. Like it's it's all just it's one of those things where this was the last straw for the players before striking. And U.S. Soccer shot itself in the foot by having that annual meeting where they talked about projected budget numbers for the revenue, and they started talking about a lot of this stuff publicly about what their anticipated revenue is. Uh, from the women's national team this year and what um, their the different schedules are going to look like because now we can actually look dollar for dollar what are the expenses what are the revenues what what are the different money-making opportunities but also you know players are are speaking out about how little they're getting paid to do this double duty of country and club even when you take into account that U.S. soccer pays the women a salary, which is partly a legacy from a time when women couldn't make a living off of club, and men could, which is why the men got paid when they just came in for games, and the women had to have a salary, because where else was that money going to come from? At some point, there was no club, you know? Right, there there was no club. How how were they expected to train full-time and be the best players that they could be if they had to have a day job right. and could couldn't afford to take off months at a time for camp. So that's one part of the context that I wish people would kind of go a little deeper into instead of just going, oh, they have different, you know, pay structures. Like There's a reason for that. And the, the landscape is changing a little bit now. So maybe we can talk about, is it necessary to change the pay structure? Or if it isn't necessary, if it's necessary to keep it the same, why? And we need to look right. deeper at that. Just in terms of raw numbers, in fiscal year 2016, which ended March, uh, women's national team projected to bring in 23.6 million. Men's national team projected to bring in 21 million. Um, you also need to pair that with expenses, because not only the men projected to bring in less, they're projected to have spent more. So men's national team expenses projected to be looks like 19 million. Women's national team expenses, $14.7 million. How are World Cup expenses separate? They have their own category in the expense sheet. Yeah, so I think we should combine them together. Yeah. Um, women's World Cup expenses look like they were $5.4 million. Yeah, so expenses, they're about equivalent. A- about equivalent in a World but, Cup year. But the, the situation is, is that off of the men's... When, when we look at the net revenue, the men actually lost money in last, last fiscal year, whereas the women earned or gained about $5 million more than what they spent. But, I mean, speaking about the revenue, that's all that is is just a, a measuring stick. I'm not sure it's that's, $5 million. I think it's more like 3 point some million, which we're just splitting hairs now at this point. Yeah, I mean, the men lost money and the women earned money. 
Yeah, at that point, you need to be asking, like, well, this is possible, so why does the pay structure have to remain the same? I don't well, think I this mean, was a it's fluke. it's possible, but, but if we fuck with the pay structure, we're going to be fucking with the revenue and the losses. Well, here's the thing. U.S. Soccer did their projections for next fiscal year, right? And they project the women are going to bring in $17.6 million compared to $9 million for the men, which what kind of self-drag? <laughs> like, if they're going to be... And you know the U.S. soccer is going to be arguing purely from a revenue standpoint. They're not going to be taking into any, any of the social context, the important social context around the history of women's soccer and, you know, how it hasn't had as much time to build an audience and isn't marketed as much even by its own federation. They're just going to be looking at the numbers and saying, women don't bring in as much money as men over time. Why should we pay them as much? Right. But I, I think looking at revenue is just a very short-sighted way of, of viewing this information. I think so, too. Um, because it, it kind of comes back to the frustration, the general frustration I have with the NWSL, is that we don't have many big investors in the NWSL, which granted... We did with WUSA, and we all saw how that happened. Um, but we, we don't have those big, big investors in NWSL who can say, okay, we're, gonna, we're going to take a stand. We are going to create a situation where we have certain cost of living. We have a certain uh, salary dollar amount that we are going to maintain, and we're willing to take loss on that in, in the interim. You know, no sports organization in the country actually generates revenue. The, the revenue is all generated off of uh, marketing, off of sponsorship, off of all of these different components, which to me is like a second large indicator for how the women should be compensated. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with the whole equal play, equal pay thing. Like, I don't think the women should be getting paid what the men are being paid simply because of the market value of players. Well, that's... But I do, I do think that the market is overinflating how much the men should be getting paid and completely deflating what the value of some of these female athletes are to our national team program. Well, that's the thing, because who sets market value? What influences market value? Economics don't exist in this weird vacuum that's purely based on merit that completely ignores every facet of identity, like gender or race. I mean... Well, but... But U.S. soccer has also created that themselves by not asking Nike, hey, which team do you want to sponsor? I don't get it. Like, so how, how, do, we, how do we measure the market for sports? We measure market for sports by viewership, by attendance, and by sponsorship, right? Because they all work in circular fashion. If one decreases, we're probably going to see a decrease across the board. And we saw that decrease across the board for sponsorship, viewership, and attendance when the women's national team wasn't doing as well in the, in the, or was relatively non-existent in the nineties. Then when the women's national team started playing into the system, started, you know, actually producing an output and the whole women's market actually emerged as a viable source of attendance, sponsorship and viewership. Then U.S. soccer grew because of sponsors well, I think the, the direct correlation there is between the women's national team and sponsorship. But U.S. soccer isn't in a position where it's ever asked sponsors, which team would you like to be covering? If we're going to bring it back to 
you you said you talked about investment, which I thought was key. Investment, which you know partially is driven by how people assess market value and what they think they can get for their, what people think they can get for what they're investing in. I mean, part of that image is driven by plain old sexism. Like, oh, absolutely. MLS lost two hundred fifty million dollars in its first five years. Two hundred fifty million, and WUSA lost what one hundred million in its first three years. I think that's the figure about. So if you extrapolate over six years, WUSA would have lost what about two hundred million. So yeah. why is one league considered such a critical failure that it's a complete risk to ever start another women's league ever again? Whereas with MLS, they can lose $250 million in five years and still exist today. It's because men get the benefit of a doubt. Oh, absolutely. I it's just, men investing in men. Yeah. We I, just don't have a lot of female invest. Like, women just don't generate the amount of income and the they, they don't have those executive positions in all of these different corporate sponsorship opportunities that that the men do i mean you're, you're you're absolutely right there there is a huge element of discrimination there 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 well there's a huge element of discrimination but there's also this huge element of bias in that if we're men we can do it and men need to help women do it you know what i mean and so it's it's it, you're absolutely right it is this huge discrimination um, and I and I think it's more fundamental than just why are men allowed to have things that fail, keep going, whereas women, our things fail and we shut it down right away. I think it comes back to the larger, why aren't women in higher level positions within these companies that can make those decisions? Because it's all why, related. Like if one woman fails as CEO, everyone goes, women can't be CEOs. If, well, I mean, it's exactly why people don't want to vote for Hillary as a woman. You know, people are still making this gender argument about how they feel about Hillary. And I'm like, look, there's enough material now that her being a woman should not play into this in any way, shape or form. Yeah, there's plenty of reasons to vote or not vote for Hillary besides her gender. Exactly. Like maybe 10 years ago, we didn't we didn't quite know the level of information that we know now. But nobody should be making a decision about voting for Hillary based on gender. Well, the thing is, but they are. You ask, like, why are there more C- women CEOs or, you know, women in positions of power? I mean, what, white women still make, what, 79 cents on the dollar for every every dollar a man makes? That's white women. We're not even bringing race into this equation for every right. dollar a and man then makes. When you, and then when you bring mothers into it, we're going to see it, it fall even more. And, and you know, there there is a certain amount of discrimination that we experience every single fucking day it's in just, the workplace. It's so baked in. So right. I, I think the answer is obvious. It's So now the question becomes, well, how do you interrupt that cycle or get over it or around it? Or, you know, short of a coalition of Beyonce, Oprah, and Ellen taking over the league, what how what do you do? And Right, right. And even when we talk about Beyonce, Ellen, and Oprah, like we're not even really – talking about key players on in men on the men's side in terms of revenue or wealth women have systemically systemically over decades been excluded from sports in every position um you know as coaches as administrators as executives so it's no there's there's no mystery behind why women can't seem to do more than get this little foothold in in the sport worldwide. I mean, you've got 
champions out there like Moya Dodd, who's doing her best to wedge a crowbar in at FIFA and, you know, improve the situation of women in uh, at the top level so that they can start making improvements all the way down. But when you're one of a minority, you have to be careful how hard you push for change, lest, you know, people get too scared and go, no, this is too much. Too much. Bye. Yeah, I I think it's systemic. It's something that we're now have, like we, I say we, women now have data to support the fact that this, in this particular example, which is about as specific as you can get, in this particular example, we no longer have to say that the men are subsidizing the women. Right. We have the data to prove it. What the argument is, is not that, well, revenue should then base what the salaries are, because we're completely aware that it's going to swing the other direction as soon as the Men's World Cup kicks in. That we're in that lull for the Men's World Cup, and so the revenue-generating opportunities are not necessarily there for the men's side. So so the short-handed comment or the short-sighted solution, which I don't think is what the CBA or what, what the women's national team players want, is, okay, equal play, equal pay, like pay us exactly what the men are getting. Because again, it comes back to women's sports are not these money-making machines that the men have at their, not at their disposal, because obviously they're very talented to be able to play at these particular levels, but the women don't have the same opportunities. So this is a situation where we need to think about how are we going to revisit a contract that was established in 2008, update it to $2,015, but also take into account the, the capital, the credit that this team should get in terms of attracting and sustaining their talent so that maybe we don't see Alex Morgan hawking every single goddamn product under the sun in order for her to be capitalizing on her youth and on her her talents. I think Becky Sauerbrunn had a really good point when she was interviewed by Julie Foudy, where she said um, the, the past monetary performance of the team cannot and should not be held against them in the future because in the past as we've discussed there were a lot of systematic inequalities built in that tipped things so against the team you know lack of marketing lack of attention on women's sports even now women's sports are what in in pop culture they're often the butt of a joke right mm-hmm. everyone loves to make jokes about softball players or the wnba or like women's soccer that's not a real sport blah 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 we still consider when a, uh, something spectacular happens in women's sport, will it make Sports Center? Yeah, stuff that because would... we because we know that the norm is not that Sports Center is already going to be including this. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Like uh, I think on Sports Center, two percent of their coverage over a certain time period was on women's sports. Like, mm-hmm. How can how can you possibly elbow your way in when one out of every fifty stories? Is a women's one out of every 50. So yeah, U.S. soccer, I think, needs to take that into account when they're re-bargaining whatever the issues are with the women. And I hope that the EEOC also takes stuff like that into account. They might. Um, Discrimination claims can be difficult because unless you have a smoking gun, like an email from Sunil Gulati to accounting going, hey, pay those ladies less because they're women. It can it can be hard to prove discrimination right especially if what we're dealing with are emails 
over the last few years, um, simply because discrimination in emails, just you said, it has to be black and white. Yeah, U.S. soccer will try to claim any number of uh, surface legitimate reasons for paying the women less or paying them how they do. They're definitely going to point to they're the ones who bargained for this. But hopefully any reasonable person will be like, if I made a bargain with you 10 years ago and then, you know, the circumstances of everything changed, I think we should renegotiate. Yeah. I mean, I'm blown away by this this group of five who who are are, are part of this part of the CBA negotiations, part of the EOC thing. Like, I think, I think it's a fantastic group and I I can't think of a single way they could have put somebody different on it to make it stronger. We have Hope Solo who, okay, you're talking about money and finance and uh, fair fairness with Hope Solo. Like she is going to be a bulldog. Hope Solo is good at staying on message. Absolutely. She's good at staying on message, but she's also good at making sure you don't leave the table without, with a misunderstanding. Megan Rapinoe, Carly Lloyd, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Alex Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. And so to me, you know, Carly Lloyd, God, she, she is the player right now who says we are the hardest working. Pay us, pay us what we deserve considering how hard we work for you. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, who's going to just see through all the bullshit. And she's she's also got a little bit of that diversity there, you know. She's going to make sure that that nothing is written in the contracts about you know you have to stay closeted or you you can't uh, tarnish the reputation of the of the team or anything like that. And I wish we were in a time when when that shit didn't matter, but it still matters. That vocabulary. Yeah. Um, then we have Alex Morgan, who, you know, again, she's coming at this kind of, I, I would imagine, in a similar place to Hope Solo of, pay me what I'm worth. Also, I mean, they did pick the five players who probably have the most name recognition, which is smart. I'm not saying that these players can't also hold their own, but they definitely, in playing a PR game here, they picked five really good names. Absolutely. And then the last player is, I think, the most... Maybe the brains of the operation? Maybe. I, I, I would imagine the brains of the operation, but I, I I also don't see this being successful without her on this list, Becky. Yeah, if Becky Sauerbrunn is not involved in this, and I as a fan see that, it would make me go, why? Why right? is Becky Sauerbrunn, who's known to be you know, a very thoughtful, intelligent... <gasps> not just player, but person, why is she not, what's going on here? Because at the end of the day, those compensation levels are going to, like this, I have a feeling this thing is going to get very messy and very dirty and very um, hard to read and hard to look at over the next three months. Well, this level of action has been stewing apparently since Algarve, to, uh, back when the one that got Tom Sermani fired mm-hmm. to two years ago. When Carly uh-huh. Lloyd just casually dropped in her New York Times article, yeah, we almost boycotted then, but things just weren't lining up right. We weren't all totally in agreement. So uh-huh. at least for the past two years, this has been something on the back burner in the back of some of their minds. So I think they've been plotting for a while. And then when negotiations over the CBA went south, they were like, well, time to go up a weight class. Well. And and now is not the time to really talk about her, but you have to imagine what impact Abby had on all this as well. 
that's interesting too because she came out with a a quote i forget what it was in where she said thinking back on it now did i say enough did i do enough and she sounds like she regrets not speaking up more when she was still on the team which you know maybe that's just something she can afford to say now and it's lip service but maybe she actually does regret not being more outspoken about it well i mean god the tasteless comment here is you know abby abby has a lot of life regrets yeah but who doesn't right she has a lot of regrets and the fact she stayed silent about magic jack that's okay not, yeah like i'm like she abby loses so much credibility with me with her silence me too once magic jack happened i the uh a lot of the um the scales fell from my eyes or however you put it yeah it's 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 one of those things where you know magic jack happened she granted what she does in her personal time she doesn't have to come out about but she did not come out ever until after she got married she has never used her platform for good unless there's a sponsor behind it or somebody else already kicked the door open right Right. She's not a trailblazer. She's not willing to get messy on that side. Um, and, you know, that that's her personality. And she she doesn't want to be that spokesperson. She's she's said that in many different articles, like she doesn't want to be known as that trailblazer. But then to come out and say, well, I regret I probably should have been more outspoken. I regret this. I regret that. And I'm like, you know what? You had the platform. You had the platform for years. I guess we'll see when she releases her book. That'll be interesting to me to see if she addresses anything about Magic Jack at all in there. Or some of the stuff that's come out recently about, you know, youthful indiscretions. Youthful indiscretions. I really don't care about the drugs. I regret tweeting about it. Like the moment I said I regretted it because I don't care. I don't care. Right. I, I think youthful indiscretion should be the title of her memoir. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, I, I really, I honestly don't care. Like, I don't care what kind of trouble she's getting herself into right now, except for the fact that she's... <sighs> so, she got pulled over five blocks from my house. <laughs> that I care about. The fact that it's a street that I normally am walking over. Like, and I care about that anytime anybody gets pulled over for any type of driving under whatever influence. Because I'm like, you're putting my life at jeopardy. Yeah. That's what I care about. I could care less about what she's done in the past. I could care less about the fact that, you know, yeah, she she had one night that, you know, she made poor decisions. You're absolutely right. Like, I don't think she deserves to be a martyr for, for that sort of stuff. But you need to look at her history, her track record. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's just like we need to figure out, like, what is Abby's voice worth at this point? I think that's a question she's asking herself as well. So mm-hmm. we've covered a lot. NWSL season preview, EEOC case. We kind of skimmed over the Columbia friendlies a little bit. Is there anything else that you... No, I think I think everything else we can kind of push off and, and talk about as as uh, they become topical. Yeah, there'll be plenty to talk about once the season starts. And then when we get some friendlies, we have Japan. And then they said another couple of friendlies in the next uh, little break in July, right before the Olympics. So we're looking at, I think, 
four more friendlies this summer before the Olympics. I hate the the the, the send off series. I I get nauseous every time we have a fucking send off series. Mm. Every fucking time. Yeah, I'd rather they integrate that into the clubs and also reduce opportunity to get injured. Right? Like, because the send-off series, what was it, 2012, it was in Salt Lake, and that was almost a bloodbath. 2015? God, do math. What was the last one? Uh, The one where Abby broke her leg. 2008. Before 2008, 2008, yeah. The reason why Lauren Holiday got a gold medal. (laughs) <laughs> the reason why Lauren Holiday is now our for life MVP. God. Yeah. God. So- there's so much to talk about. Did you not think that when we started this podcast over two years ago that we would have too much stuff to talk about in an hour? Yes. Yes, I did. Because we're both loud mouths. A- we are. We are, which is why we're doing this. But... I, I thoroughly enjoy that we are legit like cutting items off our talking list because we spend so much time talking about other things. Yeah. That's, that's a, a good problem to have, a, buddy. It's a nice little luxury. And I hope it's right? a problem that continues to grow and creates more women's soccer podcasts because there's just so much to talk about. So fucking, so much podcast yeah. well, content out there. Everybody enjoy the start of the NWSL season. May the odds be ever in your favor. Go out. And make sure you buy tickets, take friends, buy tickets for other people, buy, buy merch, merchandise, support this fucking league. And we'll see you on the um, next episode when the season started. Yeah, we'll we'll see how our feelings change about our projections uh, next week after after we get a get a taste of everyone this weekend. Get a taste of everyone. Could you have put that in a worse way? Oh my god. I I no, no. have imagery right End now. End of podcast. That I, End I don't of podcast. Bye. Need. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.